This is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries podcast. The vision of TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the church using the resources of the kingdom of God. Faith in Jesus is putting our complete trust and confidence in Him. You cannot say you have complete confidence and trust in someone if you don't think their advice is good advice. But when we actually believe that Jesus knew what He was talking about, That faith allows us to evaluate the world around us and our circumstances differently and act accordingly. Here is Tori Bjorklund, President of TRC Ministries, continuing his teaching at Caravan Fellowship on What is Faith, Part 2. Well, I started last week talking about faith, probably a little bit bigger concept than that. And I want to pick up where I left off. So I'll give a little bit of a brief review from last week. And uh, and then we'll jump right into I got a lot to cover, so I try not to make the review very long. So there is a road of Christian action, is what I talked about. I wanted you to envision the road of Christian action. And on either side, there's a ditch. And on one side is the ditch of performance, or measuring up. On the other side is the ditch of apathy. And I'm concerned about the ditches. I'm concerned about us as believers getting stuck in the ditches. And they're so large, and so much of our Christian culture has been formed, even, by people that are in the ditches, and by ditch thinking, We were looking in Hebrews, and we'll turn there again, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I asserted that this is not a definition of faith, but this is truth claims about faith. The dictionary definition of faith, uh, of the word, you have to be careful a little bit about definitions because you can be defining the word, but that doesn't necessarily tell you what the thing is. But uh, the dictionary definition is a complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And I said last week that faith is aligning your will to act appropriately based on the truth. So faith in the truth is aligning your will to act appropriately based on that truth. So then we had to talk a little bit about appropriate. Well, what is appropriate? And there were two aspects of appropriate that I talked about. The, the, one of them is that appropriate is acting in harmony with the truth. And I pointed out how James talks about that demons believe and they tremble. They're, they're not acting in harmony with the truth of the existence of God they're fearful because they know that they're at odds with the truth of God. The other aspect of action is the idea of, of being prepared to act should the need arise. Not all truth requires action all the time. And so when it comes time to act, you're prepared to act. So that act of faith is actually preparing yourself to be able to act when the time arises for the need of action. Uh, I mentioned that appropriate action leads to peace. And then we talked a little bit about saving faith. The Bible tells us we are justified by faith. 
And faith does not exclude works. It excludes boasting. In Hebrews, now jumping back there, verse 2, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. And I, I brought out the fact that faith in creation requires two aspects of faith. First, we must trust the source of the information. And secondly, we must accept the information as truth and act accordingly. And that's really brings back that dictionary definition of complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And what I tried to bring out is that biblical faith almost always involves confidence or trust in someone and something. We'll talk a little more about that today. Back in Hebrews chapter 11, if you jump to verse 4, the writer of Hebrews says, By faith Abel offer, offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. Verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up he was pleasing to God. By faith, verse 7, we'll jump to verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not seen in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. And I wanted us to notice here all the action involved. You can go to others. In, in James, it talks about Abraham, by faith, doing this. And Rahab, by faith, doing this. And the point is that there's action involved in faith. And there is no concept, as you read through this, these great men and women of faith, there is no concept of passivity, no concept of mental affirmation only. But what do you see? You see wholehearted, full-body conformity to the reality that they are accepting about God wholehearted, full-body conformity to the truth. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fiery furnace, their whole body was involved in faith. What is saving faith? We talked about Hebrews 11.6. I don't know if we actually got this far, so we'll pick up here. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, we please God. We receive his approval. We are justified by faith when we accept as truth what God has communicated about himself. Okay? We please God. We are found acceptable by God. We are justified when we believe that what God has communicated about himself and we act or are prepared to act accordingly. That's the point that Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is getting at here. Now, how should we act if we actually believe that God rewards those who seek him? What's the appropriate response? Seek him. Wouldn't it be natural to seek the reward of seeking him? Didn't Jesus say things like that? Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened up to you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given, up to, given to you. Jesus was teaching that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. 
So, no bait and switch here today because I promised last week to talk about trust in Jesus, believing in Jesus. So let's talk about that. How about faith in Jesus? How does that apply in, in this? So let's remember the, the dictionary definition, complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Now, unfortunately, I think it's quite unfortunate that our evangelical culture, in our culture, it means what faith in Jesus means. Well, what does it mean? It means to have faith that what he did on the cross justifies us before God. When people say believe in Jesus, or oftentimes believe on Jesus, in fact, commentators, uh, one of which has lots of comments in the Bible that I read, will say exactly that. To believe in Jesus means to believe that what he did on the cross justifies us before God. So what's the action there? What's the, how is that having faith in Jesus? That's having faith in what Jesus did. That's, that ha is having faith in a claim, in a truth claim. What Jesus did on the cross did indeed uh, justify, provide justification. We can be made right before God by what Jesus did on the cross, but not just what he did on the cross, right? Because wasn't it Paul that said, if Christ had not raised from the dead, you'd still be dead in your sins. The resurrection. Without the resurrection, what Jesus did on the cross was of no value. You'd still be dead in your sins. That's Paul's assertion. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, you would be dead in your sins. So what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? I think it means to have complete trust and confidence in Jesus. What, okay, so what, what does that mean? If we trust Jesus, if we trust Jesus, if we have complete trust and confidence in him, well, maybe appropriate action then would look like what we find in Matthew 7, 24. Anybody remember that? The wise man built his house upon the rock. And what did Jesus say? That's the, the person who builds his house on a rock is like what? Somebody who hears my words and acts on them. He, he acts on them. He does something about it. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, you cannot say that you have complete trust and confidence in someone if you think their advice is not good advice. I went to the dentist recently, and he says, hey, it looks like you're grinding your teeth. And you're going to grind them down to where it's going to do some real damage. And so I think that you should wear a little thing in your mouth when you sleep so you don't grind your teeth when you're sleeping. I actually don't think it was sleeping because... I went for 52 years without ever grinding my teeth and no indication. I think it's actually when I work out, <laughs> when I'm left in the weights. <laughs> so I wear it while I'm working out. That's the only thing that's changed in the last couple of years. So, But you know what? I have confidence in my dentist that he knows what he's talking about. When I go and I'm kind of hobbling into the chiropractor and he says, well... I can see you've been doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. 
don't do this and don't do that, and here's what I think you should do for exercises. If I have confidence in him, what am I going to do? I'm going to heed his advice. Now, this is what Jesus told his disciples that they should be doing. Do you remember in what we call the Great Commission, and actually what Dallas Willard calls the Great Omission of the Great Commission, because we tend not to talk about it. Go into all the world, right? Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always. No, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, right? That's what Jesus said to do. And, and so if we actually have confidence in Jesus, if we actually trust Jesus, you know what? We won't be the people standing by him when he says, why do you call me? Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? You remember Jesus saying that? On that day, I, many will come to me. He spoke about that. You can't say that you have confidence, complete trust and confidence in someone if you think their advice is not good. Now, I remember growing up, you know, we would read the Sermon on the Mount, for example, and then I would hear how, well, you know, Jesus doesn't really want you to be a floor mat for everybody. Sort of explaining away what Jesus taught. Now, if we actually believed Jesus, if we had faith in him for who he said he was, what would be the appropriate thing response for us when we read, when somebody slaps you on one side of the cheek, turn to him the other? You'd say, well, I think I'd try to do that if that happens to me, right? If you have confidence in Jesus, you would say, well, I think I'll do that. I think I'll do that. Anything less than that response is the ditch of apathy. Anything less than, hey, that sounds like a good idea. I think I'll try to do that, is the ditch of apathy. Now, I spent a lot of time in the ditch of apathy. I don't have this in my notes, but I'll just tell you that when I read verses, sometimes it's shocking to me now how much actual practical, here's what you should do kind of stuff is in there. You know why? Because I spent a lot of time reading the Bible to learn the proper doctrine. And I could use it to argue my points of doctrine, but it never occurred to me to actually do what it was saying to do. You know, because I'm all about ideas. Let other people take care of the details, the doing. It was... Actually, Dave and Jean one time, it shocked me when I was a young single man and they were talking about when they wanted to buy a house. Fortunately, you already had a house at the time. But when they wanted to buy a house, there was conversation about, well, if we truly loved our neighbors, would we buy neighbors' houses for people that we care for before we had our house? Or would, should we help others get a house? I mean, and I'm like... What is wrong with you? You mean, you actually take this stuff literally? 
Do to your neighbor what you would have them do for you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if I love myself and I want a house for myself, maybe I should be concerned about neighbors that don't have houses for themselves. It hadn't occurred to me to actually think seriously about how the teachings of Jesus should affect my behavior. I know that sounds strange because you guys are really practical people and you probably have thought about those things. But I'm like, wait a minute, from the ditch of apathy here, these are really cool teachings about principles that, you know, one could make arguments for that um, could be the basis of really good legislation, for example. You know? But to actually do something about it? That was an interesting thought. So, then you say, all right, I'll think I'll do that, right? Where is it easy to end up when you're sitting in the ditch of apathy and you go, hey, wow, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. You buzz over to the ditch of performance and go, okay, somebody slap me. <laughs> Dallas Willard was talking about how to teach people to bless others when they curse you. And he's like, well, you know, there's limitations to what you can do when you're role-playing as Christians. So maybe you just have to say, I really don't like your hair. <laughs> how do you feel about that? <laughs> do you want to bless me now? <laughs> Yeah, so we can practice that stuff. You immediately run into the ditch of, of, of performance and you stand there and say, all right, I'm ready to do this. I mean, that's easy to do. How do you keep that from happening? And that's what I want to talk about. How do you keep from turning this, this idea of, oh, I think I'll do that. How do you keep from turning that into performance? So here's the answer. It's really simple. You come to believe that this is the best option for your life. You remember I was talking about when you look down at your gas gauge and you go, I'm kind of low on gas and I need to go to Fergus Falls. I think I'll pull over and fill up with gas. You, you make that decision not because there's some command, thou shalt not leave Alexandria with less than quarter tank. I mean, you know, somebody could write, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, unless thou hast more than a quarter tank, thou shalt not go to Fergus Falls. Right? You could write that. Or it depends. I mean, if you drive a Geo Metro, you know, <laughs> maybe an eighth of a tank. But, no. It, and that would be a wise statement. That would be a wise statement. If thou drivest a suburban, <laughs> unless thou havest at least a quarter tank, right? And you go, oh, you know, you really shouldn't leave with just a quarter tank. No, it, it's not, a, it's not a, a law thing. It's not a performance. You never think about it in those terms, right? And you think about it like, Oh boy, I should get some gas. I don't want to run out of gas. It would be a really good idea to get gas. And you come to that same way of thinking about the teachings of Jesus. You don't end up in the ditch of performance. You go, well, turning the other cheek is probably the best way to operate in this situation. 
Blessing those who curse you is probably the best way to operate in this situation. You come to believe that it's the best option for your life. The best way to live is to live according to what Jesus taught. You come to believe that Jesus actually knew what he was talking about, just like my dentist. You come to have confidence in Jesus and then in what he is teaching. Confidence in someone and something. You see, it's faith in Jesus and the specifics that he taught that combine to allow you to stand in the situation turning the other cheek. <laughs> you could use another one. You're squarely standing in the ditch of performance when somebody asks you to carry their pack of a mile and, they, and you say, I will gladly do that. And they say, thank you, I live right here. You can leave it right there. And you say, I got to go another mile. <laughs> Jesus said two miles. I'm going two miles, whether you like it or not, right? You're squarely in the ditch of performance. If, <laughs> if somebody accidentally backhands you on the right side of the cheek, they didn't see you there, oh, I'm sorry, and you say, well, now you have to hit the other one. You're squarely in the ditch of performance. But we, we act in that way. Sometimes we take these things, and it's not out of bad intent. We're trying to do what God wants us to do. But do you hear that? We're trying to please God by our actions. And God is pleased by our faith. And faith sometimes is more difficult than knowing all the rules. If those were rules, Jesus not only would have a comprehensive list, rather than just a few examples, but he would say it the same way every place he said it. You read, the, read the Sermon on the Plain. It's different because it's not a law. It's not a rule. It's, it's a concept of what it actually looks like to be in relationship with people when you stand in the kingdom of God. And when you have faith in the kingdom of God, in what God is doing, that's what, what the kingdom of God is, God's action, when you have faith in God's action, when you actually believe that Jesus knew what he was talking about, that faith allows you to evaluate the situation differently and act accordingly. Now, I said it's really easy. You keep this from turning into performance by coming to believe that it's the best option for your life and the best way to live. Easily said is what I meant. It's easy. It's easy to say that, but how do you actually go about doing that? So there's two things that you really need to be aware of. The first one that I want to talk about is trying versus training. And the second thing is actually, how do you come to believe something? If coming to believe, whatever I said there, is the secret sauce, you need to then determine how, how do you come to believe something? All right, well, let's just do a little bit about trying versus training, and I'll pick up the rest of it next time. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, 11 through 14. 
for the grace of God has appeared. You know, if we were in, if I came from a different culture, I would have you say, repeat with me, grace has appeared. I love that. The grace of God has appeared. Bringing salvation to all men. Okay, that's preachable right there, and a little bit controversial, isn't it? But okay, we'll keep on. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us for every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possessions, zealous for good deeds. Okay, that's a, that's a mouthful right there. What is your internal response when you read that? How do you hear that? And I'll give you some examples because this helps you understand where you stand in the ditch on one side or the other or in the road of faith and how to get into the road of faith. So here's an example. I read, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Hmm. God is telling us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Seems like a reasonable conclusion, right? That's easy to read it that way. So, well, I should deny ungodliness and worldly desires, right? Or you could say, Oh, wow. In what way did the grace of God appear? There's, there's some interesting things. How about, wow, salvation to all men. Hmm. Is he teaching universalism here? It can't be that. I've got to find some verses that, you know, tell me something other than universalism there. And, uh, um, oh, yeah, we've got to be sure to look forward to uh, salvation that's yet to come. So I could teach on the salvation yet to come. The first example I gave you probably sounds pretty reasonable. And so it might shock you if I say, I think that's standing in the ditch of performance. The second one is where I stood in the ditch of apathy. I'm all about right doctrine. And I see doctrine here. And I see teaching about doctrine. I've got to make sure I figure it out and get it right. In both cases, it's out of good desire, good motive but it's misdirected effort and action. So what should our response be? Well, how about this? The grace of God will instruct me how to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. God wants me, wants to give me grace in order to learn how to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Did you hear that in that? Sometimes it helps to turn things inside out to understand them. So like, for example, if we read this from our perspective, so, so now Paul is saying, from God's perspective, he, he revealed to us the grace, his grace, right? He brought it in order to bring salvation to all men, and it instructs us this way. Okay. So now, if you're being instructed on something, and you're a good student, what is happening? You're learning it. So what if you turn that around and you say, the grace of God has come, to me, bringing me salvation, and I am learning to deny ungodliness and worldly desires 
and I am learning to live sensibly and righteously and godly where I walk today, in the world I live in today. It's relevant for me today. And this is what the grace of God is doing for me. And it also speaks to me about a hope that I have beyond the way I'm living in this world today. You see, when you start thinking about, I'm learning this, the grace of God has come for me to learn this, is a whole different concept. But we have a mentality of any instruction from God is not about training, but about doing, trying. And to say, um, okay, I'm just going to go do that, is similar to deciding to, okay, I'm going to go run a marathon. You won't succeed at running a marathon if you decide it's a good idea to run a marathon. If you see something that you think is a good idea and you have not been in the habit of doing it, you learn how to get into the habit of doing it and become the type of person who can run a marathon. And this is why Jesus said, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Why were they weary and heavy laden? They were standing in the ditch of performance. And he said, what? What, what should they do? Come to me and what? Learn from me. How should you learn from me? What's, what's the next step? Take my yoke upon you. Right? And learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? Because I am a gentle teacher. And I am humble in heart. What did James say? If anybody lacks uh, wisdom, he should ask from God. Why? He gives liberally, he gives freely, and he don't chew you out for not having it. That is gentle and humble of heart. Jesus was revealing to us what God is like. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's what this is about. The grace of God has come to teach us how to live righteously and sensibly. Sensibly means, hey, this is a good way to live. Not this is, you know, uh, I, I think of, uh, I'm thinking of the landlord and I can't think of his name now. Um, C.S. Lewis in his book, Pilgrim's Regress. Thank you. And he put on the landlord would put on the mask and say, here's all the rules. And then he'd pull it down and wink at him a few times. And he's like, what's going on? And that's how we sometimes read the Bible. It's like, you know, you turn the other cheek. You got to do this. But God doesn't want you to be a, you know, they pull down the mask and wink. And God doesn't want you to be a doormat for everybody. And so what we end up with are two options. We either take the wink and stand in the, the ditch of apathy, or we take the mask and we stand in the ditch of performance, when in fact, the grace of God is what teaches us that the teachings of Jesus are actually a way to live sensibly in this present age. It's a sensible, reasonable way to think about living. And if you start with that and you go, oh, really? Then what? You think, I, I think I ought to understand how this applies to me then in the present age. Okay, we'll talk more about how we come to believe. But trying versus training, I think Jesus told 
people that they, he wants them to come. He doesn't intend for us to try to do things. He intends us to climb into his yoke with him and learn from him by the grace of God how to become the type of person for whom these things are natural, the natural thing to do. Just like getting fuel before you go to Fergus Falls is the natural thing to do. Okay, well, but still we haven't talked about how to come to believe, and I'll leave it at that. We'll pick that up next time. Let me pray over this. Lord, I have to trust that your Spirit leads us, guides us into truth. And, uh, and so I just place these words and our hearts and our ears in your hands for you to lead us and guide us appropriately. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.